Welcome to this Bebendum podcast. As one of the UK's leading on-trade drink suppliers, we talk to producers, customers and industry experts about stories and trends in the food and drinks industry. Today we are joined by Rayani Straden, leading South African winemaker and owner of Straden Vineyards, to talk all things Stellenbosch, from her experiences as a woman in the winemaking world to her upcoming projects. So today we're here with Rayani Stradum, uh, who's a leading South African winemaker, and today we talk to her about her own winery in Stellenbosch, Stradum Vineyards, and welcome to London. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about the story behind Stradum. Yeah, so my story, I mean, I um, goes way back when I was 14 years old, I decided to become a winemaker, and um, I've worked, what's now, 25 years basically in the industry since I finished my studies at the University of Stellenbosch and I've made wine for two other producers. I'm married to a winemaker, so I think that already says somewhere in the back of your mind is always this idea of starting your own brand at some point. So um, I then literally started Stradom in 2012, was my first official vintage under Stradom and have actually just decided to start doing this full-time so as of the end of wow. this month it's 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 why i'm putting full-time my, wow. my time with yeah so yeah okay. it's quite exciting quite nerve-wracking but quite exciting as well i mean i'm, I'm quite small but um I'm sure, and I'm small because of the time, and I'm sure now since I've got all the time just to spend on that, I would hopefully grow, um, I'm probably not too fast, but grow that it makes uh, financial sense as a business. Okay, so you've got all of your family involved, is that right? Or? Yes, not really. So my husband's not involved in, in, in the Stradon property. He's, he's involved in quite a big um, business in South Africa, so you know it, it gets a bit tricky if you kind of have something on the side. So I do this full time. My oldest son is studying at Elsenburg, which is one of the colleges that you can study to become a winemaker in South Africa. So that is his interest. He's now first year, he'll probably study another three years and um, then finish. But you know, both Louis and myself, we want him to go travel first and then and then also get to a point where he, where he can decide if he really want to do the family business or not. It is, yeah. it is stressful, any wine farm. I think it's as much fun as well. But um, that's our idea, um, and then our other two kids—they—they uh, they don't have an interest in wine at this point. So <laughs> they have different interests. But if if one day it can become a big family business, it would be great. Yeah. Um, so do you have your own vineyards, or do you work with other small growers? Why? So we have a property, um, my husband and I, which is in Stellenbosch. Um, it's about eight hectares. Um, we have a, a small amount of vineyards on that. It's not fully planted. Um, but at the moment, the uh, majority of my vineyards, I'm actually, uh, we've got Syrah planted, but we don't have Cabernet and the others. Um, we have planted some in the past, but then unfortunately don't have access to those vineyards anymore. But so now I'm, uh, you know, just probably following more the philosophy, what I want to do with Stradom is to source small special pockets. And, um, you know, on my label, you'll see... Um, under the name it actually says Stellenbosch or in, in the word Stellenbosch can be Elgin or it can be Napier or it can be Durbanville or whatever, wherever I can source a, a great pocket of vineyard of. Yeah. Um, but the next part is the more impo- important part where I say artisan wine. So, you know, if you already look at something like that, 
you don't always get the exact artisan style of wines if you just source from one property. So it's quite yeah. exciting for me to be able to kind of go out and maybe source something from different areas and make something special out of it. That's that's basically what I'm working towards. So so to answer the question, yes, we do have vineyards, but if all of that will end up in Stradorn, it's probably not going to be, not for now, because it will be young vineyards that we also have planted once we plant the rest of the land that we've got. So uh, most of the vines are planted on the Helderberg slopes. Um, so what's so unique about this part of Stellenbosch? Yeah, so we, we have got vineyards. Um, what you currently have now on the 2014 vintage is actually vineyards that we planted in the Simonsburg area, because that's where we live, where the Shannon Blanc does come from the Helderberg slope. So it's basically to explain, in short, Stellenbosch is in the middle between these two mountain ranges, Simonsburg on the one side, Helderberg to, more towards the ocean. And um, the grapes of the Helderberg, in this case, is just the Shannon. It's an old vineyard that is planted in um, 1988, um, kind of semi-bush vine, semi-trellised, um, and um, gives super, super concentration, really high up on the mountain, at probably 420 meters elevation, wow. which is quite a special vineyard. Um, then the Cabernet and the Shiraz that you, that you have now is vineyards that we've planted, my husband and I, in 2008. Um, and that is Simonsburg on southwestern slopes um, with, um, with shale and clay underground, um, which gives you that kind of a minerality that you can pick up in the wines. The Shiraz, in this case, slightly lower, more clay, actually not so much spice as you, as you maybe get from Shirazes from other parts, but an unbelievably concentration of like cranberries and cherries and, and um, yeah, with, a, with an undertone of minerality in that. So what would you say then is your philosophy as a winemaker? You get these grapes, they're fantastic. Where do you go from there? Yeah, so my philosophy I think is probably the same than most great winemakers where you really just want to express the site that you're from. You know, I believe that wherever you get the grapes from, if you have 10 different winemakers making wine from that site, they should probably be all more or less the same because then you're expressing the site. Once it starts changing different, then you know that the influence that happened in the cellar is vast between different winemakers. Yeah. So, so my philosophy is to express terroir. I try and do natural ferment where I can. Um, I'm not keen on it at this point with whites, but on reds I really enjoy it. Um, it you know, when it comes to the oak regime, I would... And, and with us in South Africa, you have to place your order for oak already like six months before that you've actually literally seen the vintage, which okay. makes it a little bit more challenging. So once the oak arrives and once the wine is in the cellar, I'll make a final decision if the percentage of new oak should be as I planned. And if not, I will just keep the barrels for the next year. So, so yes, I want to express uh, where the sites where it's from. Um, and then I also don't want to overwhelm whatever wine is made through an oak regime. I really want to have the fruit coming forward with the elegance at the backbone, with a good structure and a good length and a core of freshness. Okay, so could you tell me a little bit about the range and styles that you're currently producing? So, so currently that what you have here available is um, the Chenin Blanc, um, which is called Danielle, and um, I think you're on the 2016 vintage. Then um, so this, this wine has been um, fermented and um, through ferment, well, started in stainless steel and then through ferment actually taken out into two big barrels. There's 1,400 bottles made only. So the two big, two big barrels is 500 litres barrels that's like 8 or 10 years old and then one, two to five as a top up. Um, literally to, um, 
to give the wine texture. So with the Shannon, I'm not going out there to really extract flavor. I, I really yeah. want to use it as a vessel for a little bit of oxidation that takes place. Gives the wine a nice mouthfeel um, and some honey and subtle flavors. But the, the inner flavor of the wine, you get a little bit of oatmeal, but lots of floral, lemon, lime. Um, really just fresh. It hasn't got a really high alcohol. I, I pick um, quite particularly on sugar because of the acidity that I want. I want to make the wine as natural as possible. Yeah. And I mean, South Africa, we've got so much sun. Our grapes get ripe so fast. So I'm, I'm quite particular about that. So that's the Shannon to make wine. Uh, you know, I obviously seek to make a wine that will age quite beautifully. Then the other two um, we currently have is the Syrah. Um, 2014 vintage um, made a little bit of um, whole bunch ferment at the bottom 20 percent we step it step on it a bit to uh, to break down the to get some skins yeah and then we put the rest on top um, about 10 days on the skins and then press and goes to barrels um, and the cabernet sauvignon um, all distorted um, distemmed um, and then almost whole berries that's put in the tank for ferment so that i um, so that I can get that juiciness from it and not, not too much extracted tannins, okay. but a really fruit-coated tannin. Um, that again, it gives the wine unbelievable freshness and core and, and, and a really of a, pu- a purity of lots of dark fruit and berries. And um, again, um, the oak regime on this one is 40% new oak. This Cabernet can handle quite a bit of oak. Um, but I'm working with young vineyards, so I don't want to like, kill it. But yes, I, um, I like that little bit of, you get like, a touch of pencil shavings, you know, it's just a minerality, but the fruit purity is just amazing, I think, on the wine. Scored really, really nicely here in London in the in the decanter. Got 93 points on the South wow. African Cabernet Report, which yeah. will come out in November, which I'm quite excited about. The wine did really well in South Africa. Um, in our Cabernet Report, we I was joined first with this wine. Um, first time I entered it with a very well-known farm called Neil Ellis. So I was quite proud and, and very I feel very privileged that yeah. I'm starting Amazing. with such a high standard with, with the wines that I make. So how are you feeling about 2018 vintage so far? So 2018, as everybody asks us, you know, how are you doing with the drought? It is the third year in a row that we've had severe drought in okay. down in the Western Cape. And um, I think we, we come out of it fine. We, our, our crops were definitely lower this year um, than in any of the other years. And um, But the drought is also... You know, besides that, yeah, the vineyard is getting strong. We did have enough water to still give, even though we, it was cut down to 40% of our usage that we were allowed. Um, I've always been quite um, reluctant to give water in any way to vineyard and really try and kind of push the boundaries with that mm. because I've come from a property before that was completely dry land farming. So I know how far a vineyard can go. And the less water you give, it actually the, the lower... Uh, the, the, the deeper the roots will go in and the more it will actually give a good wine. But So this, the fruit concentration this year I think was great because we had this tiny, tiny berries. So your ratio of skin and pulp is quite like almost one to one. And you get super, super concentration. So, so yes, I think, um, you know, 18 um, has been great. I, I like the fruit that we got this year. Um, but it's also difficult to see how good it really is until you basically put the wine in the bottle. You know, early yeah. stages is always you, you can give an overview, and most of us always say, "Oh no, it was a great vintage." But the the proof is in the pudding once the wine yeah. is actually in the bottle <laughs> and people actually start drinking it. Yeah. Um, but the concentration was great. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. 
Um, so you also make wine at another winery. How do you balance it? I mean, I know you've said that you're now yeah. moving over. Has it been a bit exactly. of a challenge? No, yeah, so, so when, I, um, when I started this business, which was in 2005, you know, at that stage I was actually already leaving the property before um, to start my own business. And then this opportunity came around, which is an absolutely fantastic opportunity. I've basically run this business, um, had free hand, you know, I can only be grateful for all the opportunities that I've had through through yeah. um, Haskell Vineyards and um, all the people involved. So, um, but I, I was, from the start I said, you know, I'm going to start, I wanted to start my own business and um, somewhere along the line it's going to happen. So it took a, a while to do that and, um, and that's where I only started in 2012. I consulted, um, left a bit, and consulted actually more than I did was physically running the business. But then I went back and was there again now for a four-year period, and still continued making my own wine, but really on the side. And I think it took really much of a backseat, and yeah. I just got to the point where I realized, you know what? As much as I want to help both myself and the other property, it's not a good um, proposition going forward that way. So. Um, I would continue consulting, um, you know, but in a very low-key uh, uh, way, yeah. um, so that I don't have to wear like this two caps, am I straight or am I Haskell? You know, people, even though I've been making wine for a long time, and I do think quite a number of people know me as a winemaker, they don't actually put the connection to straight and me. Which is quite funny because you would think, oh, this would be kind of a no-brainer, but it's not. And I realized from a marketing perspective, it's quite important to really go out there full time. And the best person to sell a wine is the winemaker or the owner. So, and that's where I'm now. So I will always stay with a very good relationship with Haskell. And um, um, as I said, I'll probably maybe make my wine there for a while. But, um, but there's, a, there's a great guy that I've appointed and I really... Wishing the best of luck. It's a great opportunity for him going forward, you know, to make a name for himself and and do the best he can. Um, so obviously you're a member of the prestigious Cape Winemakers Guild. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the Cape Winemakers Guild um, was an organisation that started um, 34 years ago. Well, this year is our 34th um, actually auction. Um, I think we started in 1982. And it was started by a group of winemakers that literally got together to share knowledge and have yeah. tastings and, um, and that was then. And, and so it then grew and new members and members became, new winemakers became members and then they started the auction to do something different, maybe based a little bit those years to um, the Hospice de Bone auction um, and to also have a platform to experiment with other uh, vineyards or vines and make something different that maybe wasn't the norm. I mean, those days South Africa was completely in isolation, so we were kind of just drinking one another's wines and learning from yeah. one another. So it was a different time. Um, and that has grown to where it is now, where it is, uh, you know, quite a prestigious organization. It's got an, um, we are sorry, we are 44 members um, that's uh, active members making wine, and um, we basically make wine every year that gets sold at the Cape Winemakers Guild auction which is which always falls on the last weekend of September or the first weekend of October however which fits the best on a Saturday and um, and the wine that's the wines that we make you never really have more than 600 bottles available you know oh. um, like I you maybe bottle two barrels and and 
the amount of wine that goes on auction per winemaker is anything from 24 cases by 6 to maybe 60 maximum. That's more or less where the volumes are playing. This year there's just over 2,000 cases available, divided amongst about 38 winemakers. You submit your wine, and we as the winemakers that's involved, we actually sit down and we score the wines before and after that day you know your wine is going on auction or not so the standard of the wines that goes on is really really high yeah um and it's we need to keep it that high because other winemakers aspire to become cape winemakers guild members and obviously we aspire to show the world how how far the boundaries can go in south africa and how good the wines is on a comparative international market um of the 44 members, there's two women, of which I'm one, and Andrea Malinu is the other female winemaker that's wow. a member. So every year there's a voting process and we get new members. This year, unfortunately, three members has um, retired. You know, as the guys get older, they yeah. you know, realise maybe they're not as involved or they've got other things that's keeping them more busy, busy so that they leave. Um, but we, you know, there's two great elements for me as a winemaker to remember is the opportunity to taste wines, um, international wines yeah. and tastings that we present once a month. A winemaker gets an opportunity to, to do a theme of, it can be South African theme as well, but mostly um, the guys do wines from across the world. Yeah. My theme last year was Centimillion, so yeah. you know, I got some great Centimillions and did a big, big research and it's a sit down to to tasting and it needs to be quite knowledgeable. Um, the other leg that we have is the, the element of um, the protégé program, where we have um, nine winemakers um, in the um, in the program, you know, to um, to create change in, in our industry. You know, these these people that need an opportunity. They um, some of them are from disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, it, it's all in all sometimes it's difficult to find a job in this industry so we really tr push that um, quite hard and um, they apply it's a bursary that they get after they've done their study so you really have to receive your your degree or your diploma okay. you already have to be a qualified winemaker or a viticulturist we have a viticulturist program now as well and um, and then we take them in as a first year a second year and a third year again so your first year okay. you you go and work in a cellar um, with a winemaker so you after your studies you don't have to go into this wide world and be scared you st actually still kind of cocooned yeah within a cellar with one of one of us winemakers then your second year you kind of decide where you want to go you say, okay you know I love Chardonnay so I want to go work with that cellar because they specialize in Chardonnay and then then that protege winemaker also needs to make their own wine and their wine will go on auction also the next year oh, in the charity amazing. in the charity dinners and um, that money goes back into the protege program and then the third year they now are fully fledged i mean they're already fully fledged winemakers just has much more experience now and um, so then they start you know finding jobs they also go overseas um, with us with the program and then they start uh, finding opportunities to go into the industry or start their own wines. Um, you know, so it is a good, it's a really good program, and it keeps it quite exciting. You know, to see the innovation, what what they come up with, the wines they make, the names they give their wines. So no, it's 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 really great to be part of that. 
Yeah, so um, there's a couple of other things as well, but I'll probably not stop talking if I go on <laughs> about it. Well, one thing I will pick up on, um, as you said, there's only two women members. Yes. Um, which in itself is interesting, but how have you found it? Um, have you found it a challenge as a woman in a traditionally male-dominated industry? So I've been, I've been in this industry for a very long time. I, I guess I think sometimes I go and try and add up. Okay, where am I falling in the the age category of being a woman in South Africa? And I'm probably falling third in line from my age category. Um, up, you know, from who's the oldest to the youngest. So I'm around lying around third. Um, I was really fortunate when I started working um, to have a mentor that was very open-minded. You know, yeah. I actually, coming back to the CWG, have been involved with the CWG from an assistant winemaker point of view and going and pouring wine at the tastings and so on since I actually started in this industry. So, um, and that, so, so what I want to say is that if you, if you get into this industry as a woman, it depends on where you land. And, and what is the opportunity from there. So I've never found it really difficult in this industry. Um, I've always had a great time. I've made great friends, um, you know, through this met a, a winemaker husband, so it's been great. Yeah. Um, but I, I can think that some girls might have found it harder. I think it's less difficult now than it is 20 years ago because there's much more open-mindedness. If we get we get involved with the university and we go to the final year classes, the four year, fourth year classes, and more than 50% of the students is actually girls. If they all end up becoming winemakers, is a different story. The sad thing still that unfortunately happens, a lot of these girls, they do start working and then once they get married and have yeah. families, they maybe drop out and maybe go into something else. Um, what that percentage is, I can't say. It's just it's like just an observation that I've noticed. So, uh, and maybe to base on what you said, there's only two ladies in the guild. I mean, we, we do submit names, and like this year, there's a great girl that's nominated, and I really wish that she's going to come in. Um, it's maybe just a good indication of what really is still going on from a percentage-wise, how many female winemakers there is yeah. versus male winemakers. Yeah. So... Um, there's some great female winemakers in South Africa, but then there's also great guy winemakers. I, I don't see this job as a, a gender thing. I really just see it as a, a great job yeah. to do. Yeah. Okay, so what kind of advice would you give to rising stars, kind of men, women, anyone who wants to kind of get there with their winemaking? No, I, I, you know, this is not difficult to do. Anything, no matter which career path you decide to go, is anything, if you do something from the heart and you're passionate about it, you're not going to find it difficult. You know, if, yeah. the, if you're the world's greatest computer geek, I'm sure those guys, that's the famous computer guys, to them it was just like another day. As like yeah. you and I would eat an ice cream on the beach, you know, that's just how they see it. For us it looks enormously difficult, but that's just how the DNA works. So, um, you know, in this career, just... Um, go out there and find an opportunity. If you if you've got a passion for something, the opportunities always come your way. It's just, it's just, it's if you don't have a passion for something, if you do something you don't really want to do, that's when you find it hard to see the opportunities that happens. And if I look at my own career, how it evolved, you know, from being an assistant, getting an opportunity, being a salary master, starting a business, now starting my own business, and also how my mind thinks different. I mean, I'm not now seeking so much to win some more. Awards. It just feels like oh, it's just another award. I, I want to kind of get to that point where I want to be a mentor for somebody and not so much 
I've got an assistant and the assistant knows what I do. You know, I want to see people set up their own places and go there. It's like, you know, have you answered these questions for yourself? You're young. Today's young kids start businesses much faster than we did. I mean, I'm very scared where I'm now at my age to really full-time do my own business, where if I maybe did this being 20 years younger in the same time frame, it would have been like a no-brainer. Yeah. There's just less thinking of I'm going to lose than maybe what I thought of. We were very responsible and very conservative and so on. So today's kids, they go out there and I mean, I, I think the... The younger winemakers, I mean, when you start making wine physically for yourself, you're not a kid anymore. But the younger winemakers today, they they are the probably the biggest asset to South African wine at the moment because people are looking at South Africa in a completely different way for the last maybe eight years because of these younger winemakers. Because they're going out there trying different varieties, yeah. different styles, all of that. So um, yeah, we, we, we are grateful for them. So let's kind of talk about that change in the South African wine scene, the kind of picture before and where we're heading towards now. I don't think it's just a thing that's happening in South Africa. I think it's a world change in wine. Um, and it's probably got to do with a couple of things in my conservative opinion. Um, I really love the old style of wine, the old like, French wines and probably American wines or Australian wines and what, but. People just don't have the time, or they don't want to have the time, they don't have the space to sell a wine. You know, the majority, yeah. the people that have space to literally go and buy that bottle of wine and sell it for 15 or 25 years before they drink it, it just does not happen. Yeah, there's, there's some great um, companies that can do the cellaring and everything for you, but yeah. we've become, you know, we majority now are working with a generation that doesn't have the patience. You know, it's like fast moving life, you quickly get information on Google or wherever. That's so so that in a way has changed the way we make wine. Because you you want instant your or faster instant gratification. And um, and that is not just something that's happened in South Africa in my opinion. I I you know I taste sit here and I drink some cheaper wine from you know with a rent uh, Bond at the moment, you can't exactly have a choice of what you want to drink. <laughs> you are in London paying with rams. And you, and you taste this wine and you think, you know, I, I'm a winemaker that wants a wine with structure and length and you know, all tick all the right boxes. And I think, then I look at the people around me and I think, they will get it. They will just say, oh, this wine is just too harsh, it's too this, it's too that. They, they like this and this is flowing like water. So, and that. If, you, if you're a winemaker where I am, and I'm also running the business side of it, and you need to make a, a living out of it, you need to adapt. I wouldn't say adapt in all your ranges. Don't do everything like that, because yeah. then it becomes boring. And to me, there must still be an element of where did the wine come from? And not start, if I'm South African, or Argentinian, or Chilean, or French, or Spanish, yeah. or whatever. Some, at, at a certain level, everything almost starts that tasting the same. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm interested in doing some, something like that. But um, the, the, the scene in South Africa is, is probably not completely dominated by world change. Um, this is also younger guys that went out and found older vineyards. And vineyards from areas that we didn't think of producing grapes anymore and just were seeking that 
element of difference and see what they can get out of there making wines more natural because they are so, so pure in their way of thinking yeah. and, um, and because you completely um, focused on what nature gives you and vines are old they, they can only go that far so suddenly you start picking grapes at lower uh, alcohol or sugars and then get lower alcohol so it's lighter in structure and voila everybody likes it you know and, yeah. um, and, that, and that just has a continuance on it um, and then, the, well, in that case, also the element of there is just so much. Um, so that started pushing the prices up, which is, again, good for the South African market because um, it's now wines comparative to what's made in other areas. That's also a lighter style because there it's always been naturally in that style. You know, we're not really trying to over-extract on skins. We're really just taking it as far as the grapes can give us. And, um, and it's making a really interesting style of wine, which is focus took it a bit away um but i do think you know having said that i come from stellenbosch and stellenbosch has got a style it is the oldest wine um, producing area um, and we need to respect that style we majority work with cabernet sauvignon you know i believe the best cabernets are grown in stellenbosch um, it's also a fantastic area for for chardonnay and we probably we can't deviate from our style we, we need to stick to that because that is what we are proud of and how we make it. So, but there's also a place for that on the world scene. So it's um, you know it's it's quite diverse what I've just said now, but it's that is that is what is going on. Yeah, do you think there's a little element of having to choose a bit between the business side and your winemaker side? You know, getting the money, appealing to a bigger market. Yes but also the style that you're so proud of. You know, the sad thing is that, um, you know, once you, you probably more get like where I am, you are quite involved in the business side and you have learned a lot and the whole maybe just the romanticism of it has maybe has changed a little bit. But I don't think I'm going to completely change my style just to my commercial no. style ones. I don't I do that. For that, I've got a commercial label and it's called Retro. And in that label, I can do what the world market wants. It's also Cabernet based. Um, it's something that can create a cash flow. But what I do with the Stradom and in the in the Stradom, the, the the Rex, which is the Cabernet and the the Syrah, that style will stay. You know, there is an element of elegance in that. It's well, it's hugely elegant, actually. Um, as I already explained myself before, I'm not there to make an over-extracted wine. I, I yeah. just really want to express what I have and make the best like that. Um, but from a commercial point, you, you're going to have to create a label. If you can just do that, I always have huge respect for the French just having this first wine, and this is what they make. You come there, you drive miles and miles, and you get to a cellar, <laughs> you taste one wine, and then you drive miles and you taste one wine. It's like, <laughs> this is insane. But you know what? They're doing it right. Yeah. Um, but they've got a legacy, and they've been doing it for so many years, so they, they, they can do that. Where you know That's like my ultimate to achieve that, but the reality in business is not like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the business does play a big role, but I don't think the element of business and finances is influencing the style of wine that I really want to make. No. Yeah. If, if that is the that is the correct answer to what you asked. Yeah. So would you say there was a kind of a turning point for you, a wine that really made you fall in love with 
with wine, with the industry? Was there something that grabbed you? Well, I did decide um, I want to be a winemaker when I wasn't drinking. Yeah. Um, that was just a picture in my mind between science and running on horseback or sitting on horseback <laughs> <laughs> running through a vineyard or somewhere on a quiet bike. Um, and then I, yeah, I, I went straight out of school, went to university, studied agriculture. But the first French wine that I had was at my professor's house, actually my final year. And believe it or not, right through my studies, I was always the driver. I was never somebody that actually drank so much and I was students in my class. So I always took it very serious. And, um, and we, he opened up a bottle of um, Chateau Haute Bataille, which um, I still have a really soft spot for. Um, that yeah. is my first French wine. Then game-changing wines in my life is... The first one I had was a, was a Pichonongo Comtesse de la Lande. Um, which I just thought, wow, this is, I, I can't remember the vintages now, but um, the, the wine to me was just absolutely spectacular. And then after that, the next one I thought, like, this wines can't get better than this is, was a Cheval Blanc. And then I did taste one better, which ended up as a, the 95 Chateau Latour. And I still remember that wow. one. And I, had, I tasted it at a second occasion. I tasted this wine and I, made, I said to the guy, this is the 95 Latour. And this was like much years later, he looked at me and he, and he just went on and eventually revealed the wine and it was a 95 <laughs> so I do think it made a huge expression on me. <laughs> so I think I've set the bar for myself quite high and it might sound like, yeah, these are wines that everybody kind of, you know, this is wines that I can't afford to drink, so if I, if I tasted them, they, they, they really made a big impression on me. And, um, and that's what I aspire to, to try and achieve. And, the wine that I've got back to talk about the Cape Winemakers Guild actually this year is a, is a Cabernet Franc Merlot blend. And I specifically called the wine the game changer because I, I remember, I mean, Cheval Blanc is maybe not 80% Cabernet Franc, but it's over 50% yeah. most of the times. Um, it is a game changing wine for me, and, and I've always loved Cabernet Franc and Merlot greatly. Um, but I've actually never made a blend of these two. Um, yeah. Just these two is always kind of part of a Bordeaux blend. And um, and I just, I, I guess I just made this decision when I blended the wines last year that somewhere I'm going to do full-time do straight on. And, um, and this was my game-changing wine. So I do hope in my portfolio going forward, um, I've always had this idea of having a Project R and a Project L blend, which will be like right blank and yeah. left blank. And um, and maybe this is an opportunity to start, you know, just seeing how, how well this wine has been um, received this week um, in this UK market, because I've been marketing it for this whole week. Um, it's quite heartwarming to see how, how good it can be yeah. and how are people seeking that elegance in the wine. But it's, it's an elegant wine, but it still has so much length and core of freshness and minerality and um, it's got this like super fine tannins which gives you the impression they're soft but I know they're still going to be there 10 years from now just yeah. being much more rounder so it's um yeah that's that's like a big answer for your question that's that's basically <laughs> how I see it yeah brilliant well it sounds like there's lots of exciting things now for the future of Stradon which is great really great well thank you very much for joining us oh, thanks
thank you for listening to this Vivendum podcast. To find out more about what's influencing the UK market, listen to our customer and producer stories, and learn more from our training team of resident experts, keep an eye on our website for more podcasts.